When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started with the episode, I just wanted to give a quick update on how the Kickstarter campaign for The Good Newspaper is going. As you already know, The Good Newspaper is a physical newspaper full of good news, inspired by this community listening to Sounds Good right now, who believe in celebrating and sharing the stories of the good in the world. We've had more than 829 people support the campaign by subscribing to The Good Newspaper from, you know, places like India, Denmark, Sweden, France, Austria, Australia, Germany, Canada, the United States, and the UK. Like, this has been so amazing to see people who believe in this idea of celebrating the good in the world all joining together in one place. I'm blown away. I'm excited. Oh my gosh, this is just so much fun. If you haven't subscribed to The Good Newspaper yet, join us. This is the best way to do it. Uh, we've got 17 days left in the campaign, uh, and it's really easy. If you want to get the newspaper delivered to your front door, just go and back the campaign. That's how you subscribe, and you'll get to join this amazing community of people. You'll also get exclusive updates about the behind the scenes of The Good Newspaper, and you're going to have bragging rights for the rest of your life. Well, maybe not the rest of your life, but you'll have bragging rights for a very long time. And when people see the beautiful good newspaper sitting on your coffee table or when you take it out and you're like sitting on the bus reading your good newspaper and people ask you, what is that? You'll be like, I made this. It's amazing. And so, (laughs) oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, Anyway, if you want to subscribe to the good newspaper, go to goodnewspaper.co. That's goodnewspaper, all one word, dot C-O and Subscribe right there. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is the weekly podcast where we have meaningful conversations with inspiring people about doing things that matter. This week, I was so excited to get to sit down and have a conversation with an incredible musician here in town named Leah Nobel. Now, Leah, I didn't necessarily know before this conversation. We were introduced to each other, and when somebody told me about this project that she was working on, my mind was immediately just like lighting up. I was so excited because it's such a good idea. For years, Leah has done what most musicians do when they write music. She's written music from her own experiences. Sometimes they're part of her own story, or sometimes it's you know, taking her own personal experiences and kind of applying it to another person, but still kind of writing from her own experiences. But for her most recent project, which is a forthcoming album called Running in Borrowed Shoes, she did not do that. She decided to write songs adapted from 100 interviews that she had with real people. So she actually had conversations with strangers from all over the world and turned that into this beautiful album. And she uncovered all sorts of themes of what people from all sorts of different backgrounds and lifestyles and all these different things have in common. And she wrote songs about those things. And 
It's a really important and meaningful way to dive into the world of empathy. She has a background in journalism and advocacy and, of course, music. And I, I like that she was able to bring all of these things together into one cohesive project. And I've listened to some of these songs, and I'm just so thrilled about what she's created. I think it's a really cool experience. And so I wanted to bring her in, have a conversation about what it's like to have these conversations with so many different people, what it's like to create art out of that, and the power and and maybe even importance of what having a conversation with somebody different than you can do for you and what it can do for the world. So without any further ado, let's just jump into my conversation with Leah Nobel. So this is our very first time meeting. I I added you on Facebook, or you added me on Facebook, and we've got a few mutual friends. Yes, we do. Which is like a very Nashville thing. Right. Yeah, we're all connected. We're all connected. Um, And we're in the studio, which is wonderful. Um, I have been outside of the world of listening to music for a while now, which is super random to say, living in Music City. But for the longest time, I didn't have a Spotify subscription, didn't have anything. And I was just like listening to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I like podcasts too. Yeah. I don't blame you. I'm I'm obsessed. But about a month ago, my wife and I got like an Apple Music family plan and I started listening to music again and I was like, oh, I love music. And so I've been jamming to your music this whole week, which oh, has been really thank you. fun. That's so nice. <laughs> it's been great. And yeah. so I'm just I'm excited to be here having this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Yay. Um Okay, so I wanna bring it back a little bit. Like has music always played a significant role in your life? You're a musician living in Music City. Um, obviously, that means you've gotten to a point in your music career where music is your life. But has it always played that role? I think that music has always been a supporting character in my life. Mm. But I think that creativity has been the lead. Really? So. When I was a kid, I loved music, and I did musical theater and choir. And But beyond that, I was just, I knew very early on that I wanted to do something creative with my life. And I feel very lucky because that was really um, encouraged and embraced by my parents. And so I always developed a healthy relationship with it. That's cool. And What did your parents do? My dad is a stockbroker. Nice. And my mom was a special ed teacher until she had my brother who ended up being diagnosed with autism. Mm. So that in itself is an interesting story right there. It was like yeah. almost like the universe was or God or whatever you choose to call it was preparing her. That's perfect. Yeah. So um, my mom is now a life coach and she's also like a, a published author and um I come from a family of writers, but I don't necessarily come from a musical family or even a creative family in a sense. Mm. But I think um, just early on, it was so evident to me and everybody around me that that was my thing. Mm. Um, And what aspect of it felt like your thing at the beginning? Was it the like learning how to play other people's music? Was it writing music? Was it? Yeah. So... That part I sort of fell into on accident Mm, almost. The best way. Well, when I was 13, I was in choir and I was singing a lot and I asked my dad for a guitar for my birthday. And at the time I had gone through a lot of phases 
I'd be really into basketball <laughs> for a while, and I wanted to skateboard and just stuff like kid stuff. And so my dad probably thought, oh, another short-lived phase or whatever. <laughs> uh, but getting a guitar just became a tool for me just in general. But I didn't start writing music till I was 18, mm. so five years after I got my guitar. And at the time I was taking guitar lessons and my teacher was basically like charting chords of songs that I wanted to learn. And he said, why don't you try writing something? And I felt, I remember feeling this resistance. I was like, that's too hard. I can't do that. But then when I tried, it just was sort of easy. And then it was fun. And then I just kept doing it. And um, it sort of evolved from there. But I when I was little, I dreamed of doing something creative, but I never dreamed of doing this, partially because I had some pretty serious stage fright, which I actually still have, mm. but I'm learning how to navigate through it better. <laughs> so what was? tell me about the first time that you performed then. So I didn't get stage fright until I was like a tween. So when I was a kid, I loved to perform. Huh. There was no reason in my mind for me to ever be nervous, care what other people think. It's this beautiful thing in kids. And I think, um, I guess it was middle school when I started becoming nervous. And um, I think it was because during that time you really care what other people think of you. And that's also a very unsteady time in your life where you're trying to figure out who you are you're not a kid you're not an adult it's just an awkward yeah everything's changing and you're like what stays the same does everything change you you kind of don't know what to think about anything yeah and so i had one kind of traumatic experience oh no not i don't think anybody else would even notice that but it was for me and that's how you develop a fear you know Mm. or a hang up yeah i guess so yeah it's like, oh, that one time was so bad. I don't ever want that to happen again. Yeah, it's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. It's like that thing happened. I will do whatever I can to not. <laughs> right. And even if it's like your body like involuntarily shaking, which yes. doesn't really help you. No. But it's trying its best to be like, I don't want you to get hurt. Yeah. Well, I had a vocal coach tell me that um, nerves were basically your body telling you that you are you don't feel safe. It's, mm. They're warning you. And so... I've learned since then how to kind of talk to my nerves in a more positive way. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Because it's like, yeah, it's you don't want the nerves to go away because I would imagine that the, in some ways they make you better. Yeah. It's about um, changing the way you speak to them. Hmm. This sounds a little hippy dippy. I love it. I do this. So <laughs> instead of in. being like why am I nervous right now? This is completely irrational. I want to do my best. This is getting in my way. Go away, nerves. Like, none of that. I'm like, hey, nerves, thanks for being here. I know that you're here because you love me and you're trying to protect me, but, you know, I don't really need you today. So I would appreciate, you know, if you're here (laughs) just to, you know, calm a little bit or just changing the way you talk to your nerves and just knowing that they're going to be there and you're just mm. going to have to learn how to exist peacefully next to them. That's right? perfect. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, interesting. and so we're here in Nashville. Yes. Nashville is like music city. Something I love about Nashville is that well, first of all, very few people are from Nashville. Very many people come to Nashville on purpose. They show up because they want 
they're chasing something. They're after something. And that was true for me, but for me, it was a girl. Um, yeah. And it worked out. Good. Um, but from a lot of people, it's music. And I would imagine that that's how you ended up in Nashville, too. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, so I started coming to Nashville when I was actually in college in 2009. And I recorded three, wait, yeah, three projects here. So I'd come out on trips. Um, but then I moved to Austin, Texas when I graduated. Um, and wait, where did you go to college? I went to college in Arizona cool. in Flagstaff, which is a little mountain town at Northern Arizona University. Sweet. Yeah, it was fun. But um, yeah, so I moved to Austin and I chose Austin first because I just really needed to practice and I wanted to live in a city that embraced music, but where I didn't feel uh, as much pressure, I think. Yeah. Musically, um, it just has a different flavor. There's no infrastructure in Austin, really. Mm -hmm. And so it just gave me a chance to um, practice and kind of start playing with a band and trying some new things without any sort of pressure. Um, and Austin's amazing. I think I just kind of outgrew it. And mm. it was, I wanted to, I knew that I was either going to move to Nashville or LA, and this ended up being better. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Do you yeah. ever feel like LA is on your horizon? Um, or do you feel like you're like in Nashville? I honestly feel like I could live anywhere. That's cool. As long as I had like two other components in my life covered. <laughs> Does that make <laughs> sense? Like I feel like I could be happy anywhere as long as I had some purpose in my work and my relationship was... Yeah. I, and I had relationships to keep me healthy. That makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. So I'm not opposed to L.A. I think um, it's got its own thing going on. <laughs> but Nashville just seemed to be the better choice for now. I love it. I yeah. love it. And, okay, so I was scrolling through your website, and I pulled this out of your bio. Your bio says, with kindness being her number one motto and belief, Leah is looking to pay it forward through music. How did how did that come about? How did like that become a part of your music? And and what does that kind of how do you kind of apply a motto like that to music? Yeah, um, I think it became a part of my music because my music is a representation of me, and so it couldn't not become part of my music because that's just who I am. Um, so at first it wasn't really intentional. Uh, in a way, it just kind of came with everything. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have somebody that inspired that in you in some ways? I mean, I think the examples of my family, um, but just like the creativity thing, I think that was just something that I was born with in a way. Um, when I was a kid, you know how kids ask, especially when you're a toddler, lo lots of questions like, yeah. why, how? <laughs> I used to ask, my mom would ta be talking about somebody, and I'd go, is she nice? Oh. That was my thing. Is she nice? And what color hair do they have? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that, I don't know, that's just part of who I am, and it naturally kind of came out in my music, but the longer I made music and the deeper I got into this industry, I realized that in order for me to feel 
fulfilled, I have to feel like I'm giving in in my music and in the ways surrounding my music. And so um, charity work alongside my music has always been a thing that's interested me, like partnerships like that. Um, And obviously this project came about because I really felt like I needed to get away from some of the industry stuff that had um, infiltrated my life and the way Mm. that I had begun to think and kind of get back to who I am and what I want from my art. And what I want from my art is to feel like I'm giving more than I'm taking. Mm. And so that's good. Yeah. And that's, I've been thinking about that idea of giving more than you're taking as well. You know, I've been thinking about it with a number of projects I'm working on, but I've also been thinking about it in terms of being a more, I I think that there's something inherently valuable about just putting things out in the world and creating things for other people to consume, whether it's got kindness at its heart or not. I think that just creating something is what makes the world awesome. And I used to ask this question every single week on the podcast. I used to ask people, what are you consuming right now that you love? Which is a really... I think it's a really interesting question. I love knowing what the people I admire are reading or watching or listening to. But I got to the point where a lot of guests started just saying, I'm actually not consuming anything right now because I'm creating. And I think that's been interesting as I've gone into a season of creating more and more where I'm not consuming very much at all either. Uh, like I listen to way less podcasts right now. I'm listening. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to music, but it's like while I'm creating things, it's sure. it's interesting. But I like the extra layer of being like, oh, how can I like be instead of like just creating, it's like giving. Like I think that's a at its core, it's kind of the same. Like creating and giving are the same thing. Absolutely. But it's you're adding that extra nuance to it. And I think it's a really cool way to look at art. Yeah, me too. That's so good. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a perfect segue into your most recent project. And this yeah. is what got me really excited to have a conversation with you. Like this is the, like the very first thing that I knew about you was this amazing new thing that you're working on. And um, oh my gosh, I love it so much. So you've got a new album coming out soon yes. called Running in Borrowed Shoes. Yes. Tell me about how you're creating this album. Like, it's it's unique. I've never heard of anything like it. Thanks. Um, well, I call my project a hybrid creative endeavor. So it's anchored in music, but it's part um, empathy advocacy, part journalism, and part songs. So you're bringing in the kindness aspect, and then yes. you're also bringing in the different types of art from your childhood. Yes, and That's I studied cool. journalism in college. Oh, wow. So I ended up working out. This is, per- this is it, that when we talk about this idea of using your own gifts and talents and abilities that are unique to you to make something good in the world, to give something good to the world, um, this is like the quintessential example. It's like Thanks. every aspect of your life. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, keep on going though. <laughs> so um, I was at a point where... About two years ago, I had released another project that I had funded on Kickstarter, and I just um, knew that I wanted to make something next, but I really wanted it to be different. And 
I felt like I spent a lot of time extremely self-absorbed in, well, I feel like the music industry kind of is naturally. So you have to figure out how to kind of live beyond that. Um, I spent a lot of time promoting myself, asking people to come to my shows, asking them to donate, to buy things, listen to this, look at me. All my album covers had my face on it. (laughs) And unfortunately, um, that's kind of part of being an artist in a way. Totally. Um, But I was just really over it. And it wasn't, didn't feel good to me. Um, And I wanted to make something next that was beyond my bubble and my scope of understanding and beyond my life experiences. So I decided that I was going to outsource my inspiration. Hmm. Um, And I interviewed 100 people over the span of 11 months. Wow. Uh, 80% of those people were strangers, and the rest were either people I knew vaguely and a couple people I knew well, but I tried to not interview people that I knew well as much as I could. Um, And my project, I I basically used uh, themes and stories um, from my interviews as inspiration to write songs from a perspective other than my own. That's really cool. Thank you. It's been extremely special thing for me. Um, how did you get people to talk with you? A hundred people is a lot of people. Like how you probably got really good by the one hundredth interview at <laughs> getting somebody to talk to you. I think um, more than anything, what I learned from just interviewing people is that people just want to be listened to, hmm. and so if you can do that it's natural for people to open up. If you can um, present something as safe to somebody, it, it wasn't hard to, to get people to open up. But my questions were specifically des- designed to avoid small talk. Mm. So I'd dive right in. <laughs> what, what did you ask people? Um, so I had kind of a, an arsenal of questions that I asked people, although I didn't ask everybody the same question. It's kind of like your podcast, I'm sure, where you're trying to follow the natural flow of a conversation yeah. and then whatever feels uh, organic to come next, you kind of pull that yeah, out of Yeah, because then you can go deeper instead of going wider. Yes, absolutely. And um, so, so are you just like sitting in a coffee shop being like, hey, hey do you want to come talk to me, sir, sir? <laughs> I tried, I did a bunch of different things, actually. Um, So it was interesting. There's a lot of things that you learn, and I'm sure you know this, when you start a massive project, that you learn them along the way and you don't know it in the beginning. So hindsight 2020 or whatever that expression is. So um, if I could go back and do this, I now know kind of a better way to maybe source my interviews. Um, But at the time, I really wanted to try to get the widest landscape of human experience as possible. So different ages, different races, socioeconomic backgrounds, different experiences. I didn't want to interview the same type of person all the time because essentially I was like uh, curating content. Yeah. It was like a research period. And so if I really want to write songs about the human experience, then I have to talk to a lot of different types of people. Yeah. And so 
because of that, some of the people, certain groups I targeted and other times I would go, I made this sign that says, come talk to me. I'm interviewing people on the subjects of this, this, and this. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. And I would go to public spaces and sit with my signs. So I'd go to a restaurant or a coffee shop or I'd stand outside the library or I'd go to the YMCA. Um, and so obviously I can't control who approaches me in that um, mm. way, which is great. But it was also, um, depending on where I was, I was going to attract a certain type of person because yeah. I was, you know, um, yeah, I was in a, a certain uh, space that maybe attracted a certain type so of person. So it's tricky to be like truly random because it is self-selecting and you're selecting yeah, a location. Yeah, it wasn't random. There were pockets of it that were random when I did these things with my sign. But otherwise, um, also, I, I found a lot of people through social media. So mm. half the people I interviewed were online and the other half were in person. Cool. Um, yeah. And so I would post on my Facebook that I was looking for Muslim Americans to interview. I was looking for people over the age of 65, sort of stuff like that. And I would sponsor it. And it, the Internet is crazy in that way because I, I got connected to so many people that we don't even know how we were. So so you connected. were like posting something on on like Facebook and you were saying, hey, I want to talk to. I want to interview you. And then you're going into like Facebook ads and you're yes. like target. You're saying, you know, I'm going to only let like Muslim Americans. H- see, but see I this. never, I never targeted any ads. Oh, okay. So okay. I would So you just put it, it out there so that a lot of people see it. Yeah. So I, w- I, the way that I sponsored it was like people who liked my page and friends of them. Cool. But what happened was most of the people that I, got connected with we didn't even have any mutual friends or it was like i don't even know how we found each other it, it worked but out it was magical that's so, so cool yeah okay and so like what are some examples of some of the questions you asked um one of my favorite questions is what do you want people to not know about you Ooh. yeah <laughs> that's deep that's... it is deep that would catch people off guard sometimes i'd say that first and they're like Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but they're like, you're going deep. Okay, this is happening. But it was amazing to me. I was so honored by the fact that so many people trusted me. Mm. That I was like, that just was so special because I they didn't really necessarily have a reason to. I mean, they must have felt safe. And so, yeah. Um, Were you nervous about asking people these questions or or asking people to share those parts of them? No, I wasn't. I think that I communicate like that in my life. Mm. So I try to avoid small talk when I can and I have lots of deep friendships and relationships. So I wasn't nervous about asking people deep questions. Again, it sounds like it was kind of something that was uniquely situated for you then. Yeah, you know, it's it like was. You were using your, your own talents and abilities. Absolutely. So I, there were a couple moments. Um, my sign, the stuff with my sign in the beginning was a little agonizing for me. Um, I'd go and sit at a coffee shop and people would just walk by me and like look at me strange. Oh. <laughs> and it was a lot of me sitting by myself like with this sign and it's an interesting psychology study uh 
I guess they call it group think. So if one person, all it takes is that first person to come up to me. And if other people see that that person is safe and they look like they're smiling and they're okay, then it now becomes safe for other people. So Mm -hmm. I would go and I'd put up my sign and that first 20 minutes, I'd just be sitting there. People are staring at me. I'm like, nobody's going to come. And then one person comes, and it is all day. Like, bam, bam, bam. After that, I'm there for seven hours, and I lose my voice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's incredible. Yes, it was awesome. (laughs) It was awesome. And so it it feels like this is the perfect time in – it's like the perfect time in modern history to be doing this. It feels like people are more divided than ever. You were doing this. Largely during the election, yes, like during the I election was, yeah. season. And what did that feel like? What did it feel like to be doing something that in, you know, in some ways was was purely based on empathy and understanding people who are are intentionally different than you? And yes, you, you, tell me more about that. Yeah, I couldn't have planned that better (laughs) because that was not on purpose. I just decided to do this project when I decided to do it. And then I feel like our political and social climate shifted pretty dramatically. And I was actually finished my interviews right after the election. Um, And wow. So. One of my biggest takeaways from this project is that I feel like it taught me it taught me how to be truly empathetic mm. because I thought I was empathetic before. And I think there are instances instances in my life where I was. But as a writer and as a person, I kind of learned that I was more sympathetic. Tell me about the difference between empathy and sympathy. I'm pretty sure sympathy is like... I understand your pain and I'm sorry. And empathy is like, I feel your pain and I'm going to get down with you and, mm. and get through it. It's like a, of. it's like a seeing versus feeling, being, being. or seeing versus being. Yeah. Like it's that. like you can have sympathy for, you know, a picture of a kid in Africa or in, in yeah. Syria, but until you take action somehow until you sacrifice something totally you aren't actually being empathetic yeah that's so interesting so that was really life-changing very powerful for me and um my goal with this record is to write songs that hopefully are highly relatable Mm. and that speak about um just what it feels like to be human and i'd say like 80 to 90 percent of music is about romantic love or even like sex and there's there's nothing wrong with that i understand why love is the focus of all songs because love is like the reason why we're here like and the center of everything and so it totally makes sense to me but um there are so many other types of love besides that and there are so many other I don't know, facets of being human that I wanted to explore. Um, And my hope was that um, this would be a highly relatable piece. And even if it wasn't relatable, that it was real and 
so emotional that even if you haven't been in a similar circumstance, by listening to the song, you could feel what that feels like. That's good. And um, that was my goal. And just because I kind of, I believe that empathy is probably our greatest tool for peace Mm. um, and understanding each other and love. And so um, I wanted to kind of take what I learned in this process and channel it into my music. And hopefully other people will feel a similar way when they listen to it. Yeah, instead of sitting across from somebody in an interview, you know, ideally you're kind of helping people empathize by listening to this song. It's a collection of of other people. Yes, absolutely. And it was interesting for me because in my life before that, I had written a lot of fiction, but it was always like I was imagining myself in a sphere, in some other world, but I was still like seeing that through my lens and my own Mm -hmm. judgment. So I could, so I could write about something that never happened to me, but it was still me in that song. Does that make sense? Yeah. But then for my project, I was really, um, trying to assume the position of somebody else and think about how they would think in this scenario rather than how I would think. Yeah. And the magical, The way that I was able to do that was that I recorded all my interviews and I took notes in first person as them. Oh, so you're like, I did this. So all my notes are, I did this, this happened to me. And it was in that moment that I learned how to be empathetic. That's when the transfer happened. Wow. Because if I had taken my notes like Sally had this happen, then like it's still removed from me. And that's what it takes, I feel like, to learn how to be empathetic is really, you know, assuming somebody else's position. It's the cliche of, like, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah, and that's kind of where the title of my project came. Because that's how I felt when I took somebody's story. I'm just like, oh, I'm you for a while and I'm just running with it. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's fat. Okay, tell me about some of the people that you had conversations with. Were there any people that really stuck out to you? Um, everybody. (laughs) I cried so much during this process, like happy, life-changing tears and some frustrated, sad tears too. But, um, I talked to so many amazing people. Um, I talked to a brother and sister duo who are refugees from Rwanda. Wow. I, so I've spent a lot of time in Rwanda. Oh, you have? And so, and I've spent time in refugee camps in Rwanda. I guess when I was in Rwanda and I was in refugee camps, they were Congolese refugees living in Rwanda. Gotcha. But I love Rwanda. Yeah, they were awesome. So I actually went to their church. Um, I was looking for refugees to interview and the World Refugee Organization was like trying to help me, but they didn't really have the bandwidth to they had bigger fish to fry. Yeah, they're at the working time. hard right now. Yeah. Actually, they closed. Did you I, know that? I just saw that. It's I, heartbreaking. I know. Especially because they were so kind to me when they had no time to help yeah. somebody they were doing this really random good project. Work in Nashville. Yes. Um, but somebody had suggested that I try going to a refugee church. So I went and I ended up meeting this brother and sister. And um, they were super amazing. Um, I feel like. The people that impacted me the most are the people whose life experiences were furthest from mine. Hmm. In a way. Yeah. Because I 
I learned more. That makes sense. Yeah. And but ev- I mean everybody was amazing, but um I also spent a lot of time at a senior center. Wow. Um and Strawberry Fields is actually inspired by two stories. And that's from your seniors. first single yes. from Okay. Yeah. I loved it. It Thank was so you. good. Thank you. Um I gosh. So I mentioned to you that my brother has autism. Yeah. And so I was actually able to interview a young man my age with high functioning autism. My brother has low functioning autism, so I've never been able to have a conversation with him. Mm. We don't know we don't know how he thinks. We don't know what's going on in his body. Um and so with this young man, I was able to ask him questions that I always wanted to ask my brother. Wow. And that was super powerful for me. Um, you know, I autism is a pretty wide spectrum, so I don't know that my brother feels the way he does. But he was so amazing, <laughs> and he just, like, articulated it in this really beautiful way. So I asked him um, if he could explain to me what autism or it was like, what's the question? If you could explain to somebody who doesn't have autism what autism feels like, how would you wow. say it? And he said that um, everybody has traffic in their brains, and typically functioning people have um, stoplights and stop signs to direct the flow of traffic. But he's like, in my brain, I don't have any of that, so that there there are a lot of accidents. What? That's such an interesting way of describing it. Was it was so profound. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's beautiful. It was amazing. So there were a lot of moments like that where I was just completely gobsmacked. And man. Yeah. And then how are you going to turn stories like those into songs or how have you done that? Yeah. So each song has been sourced in kind of a different way. So some songs are about a reoccurring theme that seemed prevalent just within my interviews. What are some of the themes that have really come out? Um, depression. Mm. Um, being jealous of a friend, but still loving them. I'm trying to think of stuff that I've written about. Um Feeling like your biggest loss is lost time. Hmm. Family turmoil, not feeling good enough. Um, gosh, there's been a lot of themes. Uh, oh, one of my favorites is uh, I ask people when they feel most alive. And a lot of people mention that they feel most alive when they're outside and they're in nature. And so one of the themes I wrote about was our connection to the earth as humans and how as our society kind of industrializes, we get further away from that. And there's a reason why people feel like that. It's because that's what we're meant to feel. Yeah. Essentially. Um, So, yeah, those are a couple couple of themes. There were a lot of reoccurring themes. And and do all the songs revolve around a theme or are some specifically around a person? Yeah, so it's a mix. Okay, so cool. some of them are about reoccurring themes. Some of them are like a, a hybrid of two people's stories mixed together, like Strawberry Fields, for example. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, so Strawberry Fields is sourced from two interviews that I had with senior citizens at the center. One of them is a 85-year-old man who I've become friends with. No way. And we hang out all the time. That's incredible. Jim. Yeah. Jim. He's really awesome. Shout out to Jim. I know. He sends me birthday cards <laughs> and we go to lunch. And what's amazing is I would have never 
met Jim in any other circumstance. He's not my grandfather. We're not related. We're just two people who have a lot in common who happen to be very far from each other in age. <laughs> but I have more in common with him than I do a lot of people my own age. Wow. And he's fun. We like went and planted trees the other weekend. He's you, 85. You guys are the coolest. This I know. is amazing. He's so cool. Um, so Jim and this other woman, um, I interviewed them both. And my question was, can you tell me what it felt like to live in the South during the Civil Rights Movement? Mm. And so um, Strawberry Fields is um, kind of anchored from Jim's story, but the verses are from Aussie, the other woman I interviewed, um, her perspective. Wow. Um, and so it's just kind of a song about preserving a moment in time from two people's perspectives. Wow. Yeah. Man. That's so cool. That's it so was exciting. really cool to write. Yes. Did you, in the process of interviewing so many people, mm-hmm. how many conversations did you have with people where you realized in the conversation, oh, I disagree with you on something that's yeah. core to who I am? A lot. Yeah. But that was really good for me, too. Yeah. I think uh, it's really important for us to be able to have conversations, peaceful, respectful, kind conversations with people that we disagree with. And it also wasn't, um, although our interviews, I felt like they were two-way streets, they were conversations, I was more interested in hearing their opinions than giving mine. Yeah. It wasn't a space for my opinion. No. And that, I mean, besides learning how to be empathetic, I felt a lot of my worldview shift. Hmm. Just some things that I realized that I had been really judgmental about, um, I just felt kind of beliefs start to crack. What do you think kind of made that crumble? Like what was the connecting piece that made you go, oh, you know, I don't I don't need to be judgmental about that. That when you talk to somebody, it's like a lot of times, not every time, but people are often doing the best that they can. And it's easy when you're not in a scenario to look at it from the outside and say, I'd do that differently. But to really picture yourself in that scenario and ask the question, would I? Would I do that differently? I don't know. You mm. might not. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all have such different life experiences. Absolutely. And, and to imagine not having experienced the things I've experienced, but still coming to the same conclusion is is pretty yeah. crazy. It's about really listening to somebody and trying to to picture yourself as them. Man. And then you can kind of... I don't know, think about whether or not you do the same thing or not. And sometimes you wouldn't, and that's okay too. But it's just about understanding somebody else's perspective, I think, um, that changes things. I have so much admiration for Leah for taking on this project. I think it's so cool, so meaningful. I love this quote from her where she said, What I want from my art is to feel like I'm giving more than I'm taking. And I think that this is the epitome of that. I think it's so cool to see her using her unique talents and abilities and life experience and putting it into this unique way to stir up empathy and draw people together. I think that's amazing. In a minute to close out the podcast, we're going to play one of Leah's songs from this project. It's called Strawberry Fields, and it's the song that uh, Leah mentioned was inspired partly by her older friend Jim, who she's been planting trees with and stuff. 
Uh, but what she didn't mention is that the other person who this song is inspired by is this amazing African-American woman who at one point in her life was Rosa Parks' roommate. I can't believe she didn't mention that. Like, how ridiculous and amazing is that? And again, it's just this story of what life was like in the age of the civil rights movement in the American South. So, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you to hear it. You can follow along with Leah Nobel and all of her incredible music across social media by just searching for her name or wherever you buy or stream music. Before we press play on the song, I just wanted to give a huge thank you to everybody who listened to the show this week. If this is your very first time listening to the podcast, you should absolutely hit the subscribe button. You can subscribe in iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every single week, you'll just get another inspiring story from another incredible person. If you haven't already subscribed to The Good Newspaper, you have 16 days left to do so on the Kickstarter page. So go check it out and subscribe at goodnewspaper.co. You're not going to want to miss it. If you want to follow along with me and the things I'm up to throughout the week, you can find me online everywhere at at Brandon Harvey, and you can find the show notes for every episode of Sounds Good at soundsgoodpodcast.com. And with all that said, that is a wrap for today's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next Monday with another conversation with an inspiring person. Sound good? Everybody thinks that they are right The neighbor down the street comes out to fight Because someone broke a window in the night The air hangs heavy like a wounded bird Who can't fly home because he's been too hurt by Sweeter than no distance between you
the same 